We're at the halfway point in our summer or our July um, sermon series called Never Too Small. We're looking at stories in the scriptures about children through whom God did marvelous and wonderful things. Two weeks ago, Pastor Jeanette introduced us to Miriam, Moses' older sister, who saved his life and through that act was able to help be part of delivering her people from Egypt. Last week, Pastor Brian introduced us to an unnamed little girl whose faith in the healing power of God led Naaman to seek out the prophet Elisha for healing. Today, I'll be sharing about the life of Timothy and those who invested in him. Now, on each of those previous weeks, our preachers treated us to adorable pictures of themselves on tricycles. Can I just start by saying I'm the youngest of four? <laughs> my siblings were 15, 14, and 8 when I was born. My parents were not overly thrilled at starting again, and so the pictures of me are very few and far between. However, after much searching, I was able to put my hands on the one picture that exists of me as a toddler. <laughs> Pretty darn stinking cute, if you ask me. And frankly, I think my fire truck trumps any tricycle any day. And very appropriate for me because my dad was once the volunteer chief of the volunteer fire department in Falmouth, Maine, and uh, I ended up marrying a volunteer firefighter. In fact, the last six of our seven years in San Antonio, Texas, John was the chaplain for the San Antonio Fire Department. So if anybody has an in with the Boston Fire Department, let me know. As I was preparing to preach today about Timothy, who is a young leader in the church who was mentored by the Apostle Paul, I took time to review the chapters in Acts to remind myself of when Paul and Timothy met and how long they traveled together. It turns out that Timothy and Paul were together for 10 to 12 years before Timothy became a leader in the church. And so I was struck by all of the different events and occasions that he was witness to. And in the midst of scrounging through family photos and having that on my mind, it reminded me of thinking back on my grandfather's life and thinking at one point, wow, how much he had witnessed over the scope of his life. In 1969, it was in the summer, we were at our family camp, Little Sebago Lake in Maine. My grandfather, Pop, was sitting in his favorite chair looking out at the lake, smoking away on his pipe. My dad was fiddling with the rabbit ears of the old black and white TV because we wanted to watch the Walter Cronkite broadcast of Apollo 11 landing on the moon. We watched the simulation that was projected listening to their real-time commentary as it was happening but waited with anticipation for the camera to switch to live footage. So for those of you that were born in the 50s you might, or before, you, hopefully you'll remember some of this. Boy, we're go for landing on the moon. Woo. 30 seconds. Forward. Hey. Contact light. Engine arm on. We're home. <laughs> Man on the moon. Houston, uh... Oh, jeez. Tranquility base here. The Eagle has landed. Roger, Tranquility. We copy you on the ground. You got a bunch of guys about to turn blue. We're breathing again. Thanks a lot. <laughs> oh, boy. Thank you. Mm. Boy. <laughs> okay, we're going to be busy for a minute. 
There's a foot coming down. There he is. Yeah. There's a foot coming down the steps. Armstrong is on the move. Yeah, Neil Armstrong, 38-year-old American, standing on the surface of the moon on this July 20th, 1969. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. No, one small step for man, but I didn't get the second phrase. His quote was, that's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. <laughs> I was 11 years old as I stood next to Pop's chair Pop was born in 1877, 12 years after the Battle of Gettysburg. Now he was listening to a man walking on the moon. And I look back and realize that at sixth grade, I had no concept of the scope of Pop's life. But as I've remembered this moment over the years, I've realized and been in awe of just how much Pop witnessed in the time that he lived. The invention of electricity, cars, indoor plumbing, telephones, airplanes, television, the Red Sox winning multiple World Series, and then the Red Sox trading Babe Ruth. Two World Wars, Korea, the Cuban Missile Crisis, Vietnam, the assassina assassinations of JFK, Martin Luther King Jr., and Bobby, and then a man walking on the moon. The variety of events that Timothy witnessed in his time traveling with Paul are certainly much different, but in many ways were also world-changing events as the gospel of Jesus Christ was beginning to spread throughout the known world. They were led to the European continent through the Macedonian vision. Lydia was converted, baptized, and the Philippian church born in her home Demons were driven out, Paul and Silas jailed, and their jailer then converted and was baptized. Priscilla and Aquila came to work with them in Ephesus, where they also trained Apollos. Jews were beginning to reject Paul, but Gentiles more and more were beginning to accept him. So after a dozen or so years of traveling together, Paul sends Timothy to pastor the Ephesians and to warn them of the dangers of listening to bad teaching. All along, Paul was mentoring, discipling, and training Timothy, and Timothy was becoming his son in the faith. Paul was a faith parent, even though he had never married, never had children of his own. In fact, in his first letter to Timothy, Paul wrote these words, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Most scholars believe that Timothy may have been in his 20s when he received that letter. And since we know that letter was written around 63 AD, that Timothy had been traveling with Paul for 10 to 12 years, that makes Timothy about 13 when he joined Paul on his missionary journeys. It's the traditional age for a young man to apprentice under a master to learn a trade. So it seems that God's call had been placed on Timothy's heart at a young age. So how could Timothy have been prepared in his faith to be ready to apprentice under Paul and to be of assistance to him at such a young age? I mean, do we have any 13-year-olds here who are ready to travel the world with Pastor Jeanette? Raise, raise your hand. Now, in reality, a couple of them were with Pastor Jeanette just a week ago in New Orleans. But our text today gives us clues that are going to help us discover a bit of how Timothy's faith was formed and how he was prepared not just to travel with Paul, but to be apprenticed to him and so be equipped and trained 
to serve as an elder and pastor to a church in a major metropolitan city. Timothy's life was an example of the phrase, start early and finish strong. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we're beginning at verse 14. Listen to the word of God. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The word translated continue is a word that tries to capture the concept of someone who is following very closely someone else as though um, they are being carefully trained with a view that they will be able to reproduce what the teacher is teaching them. So it is a word that is clear to Paul's audience that he's talking about a master and apprentice relationship. Timothy is to follow closely to what he's been taught from his childhood, to trust what he had learned. And scholars agree that Timothy had the confidence to trust in what he'd learned because he knew the integrity of those from whom he'd learned it. Earlier in the letter, Paul wrote this, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Paul is familiar with Timothy's family. Timothy's father, we are told, was a Greek but his mother and grandmother, Jewish Christians, their faith has, been, has become clear to Paul over the dozen or so years that he's had Timothy by his side. And he's aware that Timothy has learned and known the scriptures since his childhood. And so he is ready to take Timothy on as an apprentice. It's clear that Lois and her daughter Eunice were fulfilling the mandate given by God through Moses to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy 6. They took seriously their as a parent and as a grandparent to impress the commands of God upon Timothy as a young child. Friends, discipleship of our children is 24-7. Look back with me at part of that text that Jamie read earlier. Talk about them. That's the commands of God. When you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, Tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So I want you to think for a moment. When are you neither at home or not at home? When are you neither laying down nor getting up? So every waking moment offers us an opportunity to talk about the love and the grace of God. Instead of literally tying the law of God on our hands, consider that the work of our hands should bring honor to God. Instead of binding them on our foreheads, realize that what we think about, what we listen to, what our eyes watch, what our mouths say, should all bring glory to God. And writing the word of God on door frames of house or gate convicts us that our homes should be unlike other places. That when people come into our homes, that they would sense that there is something different. That there is a sweet presence and warmth of the Holy Spirit and unconditional love being shared. Parents, may your homes be the house that kids want to come to. We can model in our homes grace and love, acceptance as well as accountability. Planting seeds of faith and understanding and casual conversations with the friends of our kids, maybe even including them during dinner, during our prayer at dinner time. I'm thinking the home of Lois and Eunice was a home like that. 
We do not know if Timothy's father was a believer. All we know is that he was a Greek, but it seems that he was okay with Timothy being raised as a follower of Christ. So if anything, that says volumes about the respect he has for the women in his life. Paul remarks how from infancy Timothy has known the Holy Scriptures. We are never too small to be taught the Scriptures, never too small to be discipled by the ones who know us and love us best. And it seems that Lois and Eunice understood that truth. Their investment in Timothy bore much fruit. He grew to be a man who understood the importance of Scripture for wisdom and for faith in Christ Jesus. But Timothy is living in a culture where not everyone agrees that truth lies within the Word of God. So Paul's writing to give him encouragement to say, continue in what you've learned and what you've learned to be true. So let's move on in Paul's letter with a verse that hopefully will sound familiar. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul reminds Timothy that he has known, loved, and trusted the scriptures from a very early age. He's now reminding him of the work that scriptures can do in a person's life. It's as though Paul is saying, Timothy, you are a servant of God, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Imagine if someone that you respected, someone who has poured perhaps their faith and life into you, who's invested in you, who you look up to, turns around one day and calls you by name and says, you are a servant of God, thoroughly equipped for every good work. This does not just happen. It comes from years of investment. Start early, finish strong. It comes from years of teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in living rightly, and years of reading and studying and understanding and applying the scriptures to our lives. And all of that built upon an important foundational choice that we each must make as followers of Jesus Christ. And that choice is, is the Bible God's living and written word? Is the scripture our authority for faith and life? If so, if we answer yes to that, then we can begin to grapple with what God's word has to say on a myriad of topics by inviting the Holy Spirit to grant us wisdom as, our, as we read, to give us courage to apply that which we have learned, and to equip us with confidence to speak into the issues of our day. Boys and girls who were at Vacation Bible School, what did we learn on the day when we talked about bullies or what God will do for us when we're feeling sad. We learned from the scripture that he comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. God has the power to comfort, we said. I'm not hearing a hold on. That was our response after the God has the power. I'll try you one more time. When we disobey our parents, or when we hurt someone else's feelings. We learned in the scripture where it says, you are a God of forgiveness. So God has the power to forgive. Hold on. Good job. I heard a little voice out there. <laughs> Students, when you're wrestling with the very real temptation to cheat at school, or to talk about others behind their backs, or to participate in at-risk behavior, you too can turn to scripture for guidance and for courage to honor God with your choices. 
These are hard lessons to learn, but when we learn them as teenagers, it makes it much easier to make the tougher choices during college or in the workplace. And when we become people of integrity and honesty and people begin to notice that about us, it opens the door for us to be able to speak and to share about the power of the gospel at work in our lives. That's exactly what Paul is writing to Timothy in these next verses. While they are clearly written in an other age, the message is timely for us today. Paul goes on to say, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out, season, out of season. What this means is be prepared to say what it is that you believe. Be prepared to speak about the truth that you find in Scripture when it's convenient and even when it's inconvenient. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and instruction. This reminds us of the importance that when we speak, we need to speak with words filled with grace as well as filled with truth. That's how Jesus taught. Jesus came full of grace and full of truth. He was full of grace as he extended love to every single person that he met. But he was also full of truth. He was not content to allow people to think that their sin was okay. And then comes this section that seems to be ripped from our own headlines today. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrines. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Ephesus was a metropolitan city, estimated to have been the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire. It was a seaport and a center of commerce. It was home to many religions and the temple of the Roman goddess Diana. The Christian witness in this culture was challenged by any number of differing worldviews, philosophies, and beliefs. Timothy learned firsthand how to communicate the gospel in clear and compelling ways without compromise. He had learned this by apprenticing with Paul. He had a foundation of truth he could draw upon that had been built into his life by his mother and his grandmother. And he could tell the difference from between false teachers and those who were telling the truth about who Jesus was. Do you know that how con counterfeit specialists who work for the U.S. Treasury are able to discern real currency from counterfeit ones? They do so by studying the original. They know everything there is to know about the authentic dollar bills in every denomination. And then when they come across a counterfeit bill, they are quick to find the discrepancies because they know the real thing so well. Friends, if we know the scripture, then we are able to discern when someone is teaching something that is false. When we know the master, then we are able to recognize a fraud. The culture in which we live today is not all that different from Ephesus. Paul was right. 
People will not put up with sound doctrines, and they gather around themselves people who will say what their itching ears want to hear. Friends, it's never too early nor too late to know the Master, the only Son of God. We are never too young and never too old to learn more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We are never too small or too insignificant to be used by God for his kingdom. At his grandmother's knee, Timothy learned the stories of his people in the context of the grand narrative of God. He learned of God's plan of salvation through his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross by his mother's own personal testimony. As a youth, Timothy observed women and men coming to faith and their lives being transformed as he watched Paul preach and teach. And then Paul trusted Timothy enough as he became a young adult to pass on to him the baton of leadership. Timothy trusted what he had been taught because he he knew those from whom he learned it. I want you to hear that. Timothy trusted what he had been taught because he knew those from whom he learned it. He had relationships in his life with parents and faith parents, other people who took time to invest in him. And even as a young adult leader, there's still more that Paul is trying to teach him. Our final verse in this text says, but you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Timothy was not done learning and Paul was not done teaching. He's reminding Timothy that he has the gifts to address the problems in Ephesus. He has the gifts to preach the word, to talk about the truth of scripture. He has the gifts to apprentice new leaders and to make disciples. Start early, finish strong. This was something Timothy learned firsthand. Now, Neil Armstrong did not just wake up one day and decide, I'm going to be an astronaut and go to the moon. In fact, as a young child, he was captivated by airplanes. In 1935, at the age of five, he had his first flight on an airplane. Ten years later, he was working on his pilot license. He enrolled at Purdue University to study aeronautical engineering on a Navy scholarship. His education was interrupted when he was called to serve in the Korean War as a combat pilot. He was 19. Three years later, he returned to school to complete his education, receiving degrees, his bachelor's and his master's degree. He logged over 2,400 hours as a test pilot for the Navy before joining the organization that would become NASA. As the command pilot of Gemini 8, he became the first one to successfully dock two vehicles in space. Now, all of this training, all of these experiences led up and prepared him to be the command pilot of Apollo 11. Interestingly, sitting next to Neil Armstrong in the lunar module was a man named Buzz Aldrin, also a well-trained and equipped pilot and astronaut. Buzz, however, was a follower of Jesus. He served as an elder in his church in Houston. And before the flight, he took time to speak with his pastor because he wanted to mark the magnitude of that moment that they landed on the moon. When he returned, he shared with Guidepost magazine sometime later what he and his pastor had decided. Listen to what is written. During those first hours on the moon, before the planned eating and rest periods, I reached into my personal preference kit and pulled out the communion elements along with a three-by-five card on which I had written the words of Jesus. I am the vine, you are the branches. 
Whoever remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit, for you can do nothing without me. I poured a thimble full of wine from a sealed plastic container into a small chalice and waited for the wine to settle down as it swirled in the one-sixth earth gravity of the moon. My comments to the world were inclusive. I would like to request a few moments of silence and to invite each person listening in wherever and whomever they may be to pause for a moment and contemplate the events of the past few hours and to give thanks in his or her own way. I silently read the Bible passage as I partook of the wafer and the wine and offered a private prayer for the task at hand and the opportunity I had been given. Friends, we do not become instant Christians just by growing up and becoming adults. Discipleship begins in early childhood, reading stories and praying with the little ones, discussing the Bible and life applications with teenage sons and daughters around the dinner table, serving together in ministry roles here in the church or on mission out in the community. We're never too small to begin the journey of discipleship, and it is never too late to become a mentor, a teacher, or a small group leader. Young people, I ask you today to look at the adults in your lives and pray about asking someone to mentor you, to disciple you, someone whose faith you respect. Find a Lois or Eunice or Paul. Men and women, there may be a Timothy or a Miriam sitting near you today or in your life who needs your wisdom, your encouragement, the modeling of your life and your love. And if you don't know any, I will say that Kidstown and student ministry offer great opportunities to get started. Now, it may feel like we're taking one small step to get to know the names of young people in the church as faith parents or to be teaching our children or grandchildren, but I tell you, we are taking one giant leap for the kingdom when we take the time to invest. For I guarantee that if we start early and we finish strong, the return on our investment will be out of this world. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we give you thanks for the men and women who invested in us. When we sang the song, Ancient Words, and sang through those words that talked about how those ancient words had been passed on through the generations, God, we give you thanks that we here at Grace Chapel are here because someone told us the story. Someone passed it on. So I pray that you would help boys and girls and young people, men and women of all ages, to create here at Grace Chapel the kind of extended family where we are apprenticing and teaching and sharing and learning from one another. For the young have so much to teach us who are older, and we have wisdom and experiences to share with those who are younger. So God, would you use us as a congregation to be your church in the world, your arms of love, and your eyes of grace, and your voice of words of good news. In Jesus' name, amen.